1: Welcome to the show, in this episode we are talking to Jesse V. Johnson, we've been on the show before, he's the director of Triple Threat, Avengement, and Debt Collectors, he's a British film director, screenwriter, stunt coordinator, who's best known for these films, and this interview actually talks about why he started writing, what he looks for in a screenplay, what he thinks the perfect ratio for action plus fantasy is, and a lot more. Before I dive in though, I do want to reintroduce my producer, my podcast producer, Marion. Marion is our editor, she schedules interviews, she does so much great work for us. Um, what were your thoughts about this interview with Jesse B. Johnson?
0: Um, so I really liked the advice he gave at the end. Like he talks about the most important tool a director can have. And he said something about apologizing as a director. And I and I think like that's, that's a great advice in general, but for people who are starting to direct, I think most people start with like filming with their friends. And as okay. someone who who has done that, like when I was in university, our thesis to graduate was to make a short film. And of course like everyone like joined with their friends. And I remember my, my best friend was actually the director and I was the assistant producer and in and there were times where he was just wrong. <laughs> and every and everyone was trying really hard to like respect each other's position in, on the film. But I think sometimes when you're direct director, and especially like my friend was also the screenwriter of the film. Mm-hmm. So he was he had like really strong opinions of how he wanted it to look. And sometimes when you're a director and the screenwriter, you forget that. Yes, that's your vision, but also you're working with a crew that also have opinions of stuff. And if you're working with friends, then, you know, your friends really want to have a say in it. And I think this type of stuff can, like, make friendships or, like, ruin them. And I think especially starting out, you don't want, you know, to be that director that everybody hates because they refuse to admit that, I don't know, they, they... the shot
1: that they were planning to do doesn't look good yeah a lot of people a lot of people kind of falsely think that whatever they write on the page is going to come out on the screen that's not always true I think directors you know films it is maybe more of a director's medium where screenwriting is more for like television who kind of controls the story and like what's happening but I definitely love what he says about apologies in this I think it's just finding that balance of like confidence and vulnerability on set because you you want people to feel like you know what you're doing but you also want to be open to that collaboration that is kind of the whole point one of my favorite things he says too which i'll, I'll kind of leave in the interview is he talks about being like on set with his uncle Vic Armstrong who is a stuntman for Indiana Jones and this was kind of one of my initial reasons for reaching out as I understood what he did for stunts so I'll kind of leave that in there for you guys to listen to this will also be part of the documentary I'm working on Daredevil Society a history of Hollywood stunt performers we'll talk about Vic Armstrong who's known as one of the most famous stuntmen of all time and jesse's work and what he's doing now so check that out over at daredevilsociety.com look for that story later in the interview about being on set at the Indiana jones film but enough talk let's get on with our conversation here's my chat with jesse b johnson uh
3: it's not very recent it's actually right from the get-go was writing uh i don't i don't really I don't really see an awful, you know, for me, it doesn't matter whether I'm writing it or it's someone else's script, I'll churn in there and usually end up doing my spin on it and writing on it anyway. It becomes a source material once you get going. I I wrote like crazy at the beginning of my career. I was a stuntman on a picture called Planet of the Apes, and I remember standing on the side of a cliff looking down at Mark Wahlberg at the bottom. I think it was one of those days when we had like 600 extras or 200 extras and 200 stunts. It was it was it was nuts. And I'm, I'm probably as far as you could be away from Mark Wahlberg and where the camera is standing on top of, a, you know, this hill that was deemed as dangerous. I'm in a loincloth and, and sandals because, we're the, you know, the, the, the humans who have been oppressed and it's snowing because we're, you know, it's, it's winter in, in Utah. And I just thought, this is, this is, you know, on the one hand, I'm a stuntman on a major movie, but how the hell am I going to get out of this? Because I want to direct. And it's like, I seem to be as far, you know, you have those little moments of sort of like, where you, you know, almost godlike, you know, conversation when you have those, you know, out there for eight hours, you know, like you're, you know, conversing with yourself maybe going a little bit mad on, you know, on the one hand, I'm earning a lot of money. A lot of people want to be a stuntman, you know, in and, and movies, but on the other hand, I'm desperate to be a director and I'm desperate. This, this has sort of come to, uh, to, to be a, an awful metaphor for me in my directing career. Uh, so at that point I realized I had to write and I just had to write. And, and, and there was a, there's a famous quote, you know, I think says Scorsese starting off with his things where Corman said, you know, write about what you know and i knew a little bit about the underworld in england and all that kind of thing so i transposed that to america and i wrote a script called the debt collectors hmm. got me an agent which in a roundabout way got my career going as a director and you know with, with pictures early on as it as it was it was about 10 or 15 years later that debt collectors was made with scott adkins but uh, in the meantime i i had written and you know or or directed someone else's script at about 50 50 you know Uh, and for me as I said it doesn't matter where the source material is it becomes simply the blueprints for the film to be respected and followed but only to a degree you know if you're on set and you're listening to the scene being uh, uh, you know read and You know they're supposed to do it one way. You have this in a sense that says, yeah, it's not working. You know, we're gonna have to tweak this a bit and do that. And you have a little, you know, a little bit of improvisation, and that's often where the best stuff comes from. So you know, you're always you're always sort of creating that script. I haven't yet had one, or haven't yet had the the privilege of working in one that didn't require any (laughs) change while going along. Uh, So it's it's always been a part of my directing anyway to do a little bit of. of, uh, delicate moving but the debt collectors films i wrote uh, *Avengement*, i wrote uh, uh Accent man was scott and stew uh, uh triple threat was was basically me and the producer writing it and then you know uh, so it's you know it's been a it's it's you know uh it's been going on for some time brock yeah <laughs> but, uh, but uh on this one there was no co-writers listed but that for me that that doesn't really make much difference difference anyway uh this was a script i wrote quite some time ago you know uh, it's something I had so
2: some of... of the the scott atkins films like if, if he's writing or if he's involved he's looking for a vehicle for himself what are you looking for with scripts are you looking for like elevated action throughout the film what kind of things stand out to you about reading a script
3: well that's very interesting a very simple question to ask and a very difficult one to answer. But, but for the most part, I'm looking for something that's going to entertain me for a year and a half, because that's how long it's going to take to finance it, develop it, film it, do post on it, and then come on to uh, interviews on Zoom and promote it. Right. So I want something that's going to excite me for that year and a half. And so I look for films so that I have a huge collection of movies that I adore, that I go back to, I watch over and over the searches to the young mr lincoln to 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 modern more modern sort of stuff that you know that just you know truffo and things like that that pull me in so i'm looking for something that's gonna gonna get my attention uh which means it has to be relatively fresh new interesting touch upon something in my personal life uh you know and and keep me excited and and pushing the boundaries of what i've done trying not to repeat myself ever which is a very difficult thing to do uh you know, especially when you, you you were making six or seven martial arts films in a row, where it ultimately becomes what excuse is there in the world for these two people to fight without shooting each other? You know, That's right? Uh, yeah,
2: how do they get away to fight the second time? Yeah, you're
3: thinking, yeah. how am I do it? I'm, I'm 50 and I've never had to actually use my martial arts in a real situation in a ring, but never, never in a, a real situation. So, how have we got these two intelligent human beings, or one of them's intelligent, presumably because he's the lead? Why, why is he now got to fight this guy physically? What on earth has the world got to as his scenario got to that he's actually got to have this fight? So a lot of the time it was trying to come up with the motivation for that. And from that, you know, the story evolved around that and how original that was and how interesting. You don't want to have the two actors look at each other and go, we're so honorable, we're going to lay our guns down and now we're going to pose. It. It's the most horrible cliche that's ever been, you know, instigated upon movie audiences. So I'm looking for something original. I'm looking for something that's going to keep my interests. Characters that are rich. Uh, if it w- as if it were to be one thing, it would be the characters. I love great characters. I could if you know, the, you know if you have two or three great characters, you know, and then six or eight great scenes, you've got a movie, man. You know, you really have uh, as much as everyone would hate that because they you know they people love to tell you about you know character arts and story and you know act structure and you know all this sort of know journeying but if you if you
1: have really
3: really interesting characters uh that everyone is interested in investing in somehow it all comes from there it really does and with one ranger to bring it back to this we had we had this uh character in ranger alex tyree who for my part could have stepped out of the 1850s you know he could have stepped out of the 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 gold rush era or Mm -hmm. You know, or the, or the Plains Wars, you know, against you know, he, he or, or even chasing, you know, ch- you know, riding with Blackjack, uh, Pershing you know, and chasing Pancho Villa. He he he's he could have stepped out of the history books. He knows about modern things, he's he, he's educated in in, in in all of that as well, but his technique and his way of looking at the world is is certainly a throwback to a to a different time. And I found that uh inordinately interesting with with this film, and I think I think that was somewhat of the appeal to Thomas Jane as well. I went to his house, and he's got a beautiful house in, in Silver Lake in the hills, and decorated very interesting. He has movie, you know, uh, comic books and movie framed movie posters and antiquities, and and I, I knew when I looked around. I think we had a good chance with this script with him because it's a, it's a character not dissimilar to him in, in that he he has a penchant for the past and how things were done in the old days, you know. Mm. Uh, so I like that character. I really like the McBride character in, in One Ranger, uh, uh, played by Dean Jagger. For me, this, this was a very important character because he's a, he's a freedom fighter who's made his life fighting for lost causes uh, until those lost causes no longer need him anymore, mm. which ultimately leaves him as a lost cause. And he's not sure what to do with this, 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 all these talents that he has you know, and, and how, how to best... You know, you don't just retire, you know, you're you're still being hunted by, by Interpol agencies around the world you you are, you know, you are a wanted man for the rest of your life. Uh, and the people that once you once ran with don't want you anymore because of certain things you've done since then he, you know that he, he goes to his old girlfriend she doesn't want him anymore he goes to. The the guys he fought with in in Russia they don't want him anymore. He he tries to talk to his old IRA pals. They they don't want anything to do with him anymore, you know. And and you hopefully you start to feel a little sort of sympathy for this cat. Uh, and it's what he does with that scenario that I found very interesting. So for me, in a really long answer to your very very good question, uh, it's the characters that appeal to me. Give me great characters and and you've got me, you know. Uh, no cliches.
2: Do you kind of see that as a, as a through line like to the films you've worked on I see the the Lee Marvin poster behind you do you like films maybe from the 70s with gritty characters is that kind of what you generally look for
3: uh, yeah I, I love a lot of those pictures from the 70s uh, i like the 60s uh, there's a few in the 80s that i like but but you know i i'll always circle back to hawks and botcher and uh, Ford who to more their they're, they're beautiful period from sort of 1939 to about 1968 and then you then you move into peckinpah and that's also my area of you know i I love his work as well adore it up here if you look the other way you'd see 10 10 books on sam peckinpah you know (laughs) Uh, only only rivaled by the eight on john ford that went next to him so it's these 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 guys were were people that appealed to me, but, but I think a lot of what I liked about their work and people like Marion C. Cooper and Hawks was, and, and Wild Bill Wellman was that they were basing their characters more often than not on either people from literature or people from real life, you know, uh, as opposed to what happened from the 80s onwards where films started to be made by a much younger group of more artsy uh, directors where they were basing their movies on movies. Right, yeah and it's a, it's a small distinction but a big distinction and the films themselves feel just slightly different you're watching a film on a real person or you're watching a film on a movie character and that, that I, I I will always go back to the pictures that were made based on real characters or literary characters for some reason it just feels more honest more you, you know if you want fresh apples you go to the tree not to the barrel you know and 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 there were, you know, these series of films that are made based on other movies, basically, which I love because I see the source material. I recognize where they're borrowing from. Mm-hmm. Oh, I taken this little thing from here. And this, little, and, and this is interesting to watch for me as a as a student film. But it, but it can be dangerous territory when you start to write and make your own films. You want to go you want to go further back. You know, the rules, the groundwork, the beautiful literature was there from the very beginning. And it became an incredible art form by the 30s, 40s you know started to fall apart a bit with the advent of tv but you look at these pictures it's all, it's all there or everything you need to make a great movie is there you know technical stuff has changed a little bit and there's modernization of this and that every 8 or 10 years the technical stuff changes you know uh, the massive you know you have to go with the flow you, you it's important not to be a luddite i think what i'm saying is the the you know all of my inspirations uh my most true to form ones uh are probably pre 368 <laughs>
2: It seems like when you're writing characters based on other movies, you're going to go kind of more extreme. So do you think about with your characters that are more based on real people, are you trying to ground the action and make it as realistic as possible? How do you think about shooting those action scenes and writing those action scenes?
3: Uh, yeah, as real as possible. You want you want techniques and things in there that haven't been seen before that feel real, that give that that element of reality to it because that's what the audience likes. Oh fuck me! Did you see how he did that with the gun? And he did this, and that happened. And, he, and you know, people love that. And I like that seeing something original happen in a film. That's, you know, but you're also looking to make a fantasy film that is that is going to excite people more than just watching you know a police documentary. And one of the first films I started out, I spoke early on about, I was 14 years old and I worked for my uncle as his bag carrier on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He was doubling Harrison Ford. And they had a saying on those pictures, it was reality plus 10% fantasy. The 10% fantasy being the ability to survive things that you probably wouldn't survive unless you're extraordinarily lucky. Uh, And I think for me, that's a fantastic ratio. Reality plus 10% fantasy on top of that. So you do your research, you come up with a totally real action sequence, but then you've got to remember also making something. You know that people are going to sit in the movie theater. You have a certain artistic license. Use it. Use that ten percent fantasy and give them something really fun. But it's a fine line. You start going to twenty percent fantasy. You start to you know you start to make that fantasy element too uh, too much, and then you have floating cars that can cross bridges, and you know you know what I mean. And and. Yeah their side for no reason uh guys that can survive seven story falls on the head and s- somehow pop up and shake shake it off and, and and it's okay but you know now you're in a superhero you know scenario you're no longer with real people and and i think we have enough superhero movies you know, without know joining those as well uh so yeah 10 percent fantasy i think is good so if if, if that were going to be an overriding Uh, Ratio that I'd like to stick to. I think that would be something I think about when I was making my action for sure. If if I was forced to explain it.
2: Coming from your background, how do you think about hiring stunt coordinators and actors? Like Thomas Shane is a very physical person. Obviously Scott Atkins is. But tell me a little bit about your thoughts about working with actors like that and stunt coordinators.
3: That's a good one. I mean, you you know, there's a moment of honesty where you have to sort of you know explain to the actor that they can't do the stunt, which <laughs> they hurt themselves the last time they did it. And you go, going, I'm gonna to have to let the stunt double do this. And you do a quick little bit of minor, you know, adjustment in your head. Uh, some actors may think they're more physical than, than they are. Others truly are, truly physical you know, phenomena, like, like, like Scott Atkins. Thomas Jane was. Thomas Jane had incre- has incredible intestinal fortitude. He just keeps going. And it was cold, it was exhausting, it was unpleasant. Uh, he comes into work with no shoes on, with bare feet, and walks, walks through Australia. He's an interesting cat. He didn't—he didn't mind any of the physical uh, uh, difficulties, but the sheer—the sheer ability to to fight. You don't, you know, you can't teach someone in, you know, in a week how to do this, you know, do this stuff. So you're very careful. So there are obviously places where we used to stunt double with him. Of course, of course, I'm not going to hurt him, and I'm going to make him look as good as I possibly can. You know the, the the character Ranger Tyree has to look great. You know, uh, and has to look adept. And I'm not going to risk breaking my my lead actor. You know, yeah. to do that, I'm going to put a stunt man in there, and I love him to pieces. He knows how to land on that knee and <laughs> make it look painful. And you know, if he does break it because he messes up, then we have another stunt man ready to step in. Mm. You know, uh, he won't, and we'll make sure he won't, and we'll make sure he's padded up. But but it's it, you don't want to have that scenario happen to your actor. Uh, so you. are conscientious of that at all times. Uh you try and you, you train them up and you have a certain period of sort of rehearsal where you get a very good idea of the physical capabilities of, of the person you're dealing with. Uh Dominique Tipper was fantastic. She had incredible physical uh, abilities and I, I, she was a dancer, I believe, a professional dancer, and, and, and that's often a really good place to come from for for a stunt actor if they've got a really good history of dance. It means they'll remember choreography. It means they can make things look natural that were perhaps very unnatural physical moves, you know? Uh, like if I walk across the stage, I, I I look terrible. And if I if I jog, I look rubbish. And if I fall on my knees, it's going to look painful because it is painful. But an actor, a, 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 a well-trained dancer can do that. He can slide in on their knees and do it six or eight times and they'll be fine because it's something they've, they they know their their instruments so well, you know? So uh, she was very, very good. Uh, Dean Jagger, acting, sort of MMA, you know, skateboarder and knows his physicality very well and was very good as well and and as as you i'm not sure if you're familiar with jesse Alden. he's a he's an ex-ufc fighter and uh was very good at looking after himself and we didn't he's like a tank <laughs> so he was he was good and we i think we doubled him for one scene on a motorcycle that was taking off and he was very very upset because he said he can ride a motorbike but production came in and said no because of the nature of no helmet inspired by the side of a canal and so we had a stunt double jump on the bike and ride right away, but but I'm sure he could have done it. But yeah, you've got to you've got to you know it's an astute line. You've got to be careful. You don't want to double them if they can you know if it make the film look better to have them in there and they're going to be safe. But it's choosing where where you say okay this this needs to be a stunt double here
2: so for this one you wrote the film you're directing it but if, if someone else had written this film how much description would you want to see in terms of like it's like thomas Shane's character fights and handles a gun like a ranger while these other characters are fighting and handling guns like british intelligence is that stuff on the page or is that something we kind of figure out later just based on the description
3: uh sometimes it's on the page uh if it'll help the actors it's on the page uh I, I'm quite lean with the way that I describe the action. I don't like to read a lot of choreography. I don't want to read a lot of that stuff. I don't want to read the type of gun that's being used. I don't want to read the caliber, all that kind of crap. That's all. That's all. You know, sophomoric sort of showing off. Uh, I want to know exactly what the di- You know, what the audience needs to take from the scene uh and what will benefit the story and, and me you know what help i can have you know little little notes underlined that i'm going to remember that i can have on set that'll actually help me get it where it needs to be the choreography i'm going to leave to a choreographer i'm going to work with him and the actors they'll come up with all of that we'll all be involved in that it will be a big sort of melange of us putting that together the gun handling will be handled by the gun you know, the armorer, and, and I'll explain, you know, we'll have a little sort of chat about that ahead of time. Thomas has done a lot of gun training courses, so he, he knew how to hold the gun like a law enforcement officer. Uh, the other guys are more sort of combative and sort of, you know, more like gangsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if if it's important to the story to be conveyed in that particular moment, then it should be on the page. But if it's not, if it's just sort of filler, uh, I don't like it. i I, I like a lean script. If, you're,
2: if you were giving advice other uh, upcoming action directors, any advice about kind of fighting for more time to get those action scenes right? It seems like it's so important to schedule the amount of time to prepare and shoot and everything else.
3: yeah, yeah that's the that's the big pain in the ass, man. You know, you do a film. And you have a bunch of money you may end up having less time to do your action than you did when you did a super low budget film you know and you could actually get five people on the crew and so you could keep going you could shoot that you know things like mad max you know the first mad max that they shot on and off for a year or the raid the first raid i believe that was almost a year on and off filming you know mm-hmm. so you're out there and you you've, you've just got a few friends and you're able to make the most of all of that time doing it your first paid gig they're going to want to, you to do the Mad Max chase in one day's work, eighteen hours. You know, uh, you know, one day, one day of twelve-hour day with first unit, and then you'll have the second unit will follow on. You know, for another, four, and they'll expect you to give exactly what George Miller, you know, gave when he was twenty-one. You know, over, over you know, a two hundred and sixty-day shooting schedule. That that's the pain and the ass of filmmaking. You know, uh, people people send me car chase movies an awful lot, and it's like there are two ways of doing a car chase movie. You either do it the proper way, which is going to take a lot of time. You have cars cut in half. You have pods on top of the car where the stunt guy can drive the car, so the actor can be filmed, you know, with the steering wheel. You know, born Supremacy and Ronin, uh, uh, you know, or, or Mad Max, you know, the, the the latest one. You know, you have those kind of pictures, and your shoot is going to be, you know, four, five, six months. Or you have the other, which is you go out, you break every rule in the book, and you. You know, buy your cars from junkyards, and you you, you know you're you're building your own wolf cages, and and you know taking your life in your hands, and you're making a film. And again, you're going to take a long time to shoot it, but it's going to look fantastic because it's visceral. But you won't want to ever do that the second time. You know, uh, in the middle ground, there really isn't a way of doing that kind of visceral action. It really isn't. It becomes dangerous if you try and try and rush it, and it, it's uh, you know. So the one thing I would say to the aspiring filmmaker is look at your resources, look at what you have around you and base your action film on that. If you train martial arts, you do a lot of jiu-jitsu and you train, you have a lot of guys that do a lot of jiu-jitsu, come up with a damn movie that's gonna use all those guys. You know, try, you know, find something that's gonna put all of them to work and get out there and shoot for three, four weeks and make something brilliant. Don't try and make a car movie. On the other hand if you're a if you are a uh, a drifter and you love that culture and you're into that and you're really good at it you've got a whole bunch of friends that know how to do it and they're gonna get their cars out there and ship them and break them and maybe wipe them off all for the pursuit of your movie and you can ask that favor once get out there and do a film on on drifting you know but don't don't force it because it's dangerous and it's it's hard work and it takes time to do it correctly you know uh things don't happen on the first take and you've got to be safe you got you know so you you know, it takes time to set it up and make sure it's all safe. You don't you don't rush headlong into, you know, doing something that's, you know, you're gonna hurt people, you have to, you have to do it. And as I say, there are the only the really the two ways of doing that, you know, uh, effectively, Uh, which is tough on a film like One Ranger, because we didn't have a lot of money. So I had to go out and, and do it quickly and safely. And we hired the very, very best in the game. And I cut the crew down to almost nothing myself. An operator, and then the second unit camera. Uh, I don't think he even had an assistant, and we we set ourselves up around that car chase in a way that there was no no one around that could get hit, and it was it was really you know really really carefully planned you know with with a view to getting most exciting shots but safely. And I I quite I'm quite proud of it. I like it. I wish it was longer.
2: (laughs) I may actually do something a little different here. That I think that was a great last question. I want to kind of fill in one piece. Can you tell me about that? Okay, between you being on set when your uncle was doubling Harrison Ford and you being on the top of the mountain for Planet of the Apes, did your uncle give you advice? How did you kind of get involved? What made you want to follow that
3: career? Uh, funny bunch, of the Armstrongs. Uh, not not fast talkers. He is now, he does fantastic talks on stunts. But when I was starting out, he's a lot more closed mouth. Uh, he said, Don't apologize. <laughs> You know, don't say sorry, and and always be on time. Don't be late, and 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 have everything prepared. Be more prepared than your competition. Be earlier. Be more rehearsed. Have done more thinking about it. Walking around the set, uh, and and really that that it was you know, which is still fantastic advice to this day. Really, really good. I'm, not to think if there was any any other tidbits, but that that was really it. It was just just don't pretend to be someone you're not. And put yourself in a position where you have to apologise. Uh, now, having said that, what I have learned as a director, and that, that was preparing me to be a stunt coordinator and stuntman, as a director, being able to apologise and and admit to your wrong is one of the most potent tools you have in your bag. If you walk out onto that set, and quite often it can be in a you know a set that's that's leveraged toward you know against you. They don't like you. You're the one that's constantly pushing them to do overtime. <laughs> you're the one that's constantly pushing them to do harder. They've done two takes. They think it's enough, and you can't. You're the person. You're the figurehead that comes out and says, "No, I need another three or four takes. And it's not right yet. You didn't make it right. The props aren't good. The set design doesn't look how I wanted it to be. Uh, the cars are the wrong cars that I ordered." So they can be. It can become antagonistic if you're not careful. And one of the most potent tools you have in your kit as a director is the ability to apologize when something goes wrong and it is your fault. And it's amazing how that simple act of contrition can turn an entire set in your favor. Uh, And I've done that once or twice sometimes planned. (laughs) because I could feel things weren't going quite the way we wanted and and that that being able to admit you're wrong you're, oh god damn it I'm so sorry guys I should have used your suggestion let's do it your way next time and and from that moment on it's a smoother running set and it's never a bad thing to do you don't want to do it too often and it's it's something you leave in your toolkit so as a stunt coordinator it's better not to apologize but as a as a director I found that ability to apologize can be invaluable and and really really helpful
1: Thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift i'm giving you my first book ink by the barrel for free that's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com inside this book you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing elizabeth gilbert's playful trickster mentality you can learn to weaponize your anxiety with kevin kelly's different is better approach and learn how to defend your time with ryan holiday's calendar anorexia mindset there's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy, that's a digital download and audiobook, at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never missed an episode.